If you haven't already, would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. The end of the chapter will be our key text today as we consider the story of Thomas. When you hear the name Thomas, is there another word that comes to your mind that goes in front of it? Doubting. Thanks for playing along, y'all. Yeah, it's a colloquial phrase. We heard it before. Doubting Thomas. Like it or not, and no disrespect to the Thomases among us, it's part of our vocabulary now. So much so that even if you were to go to dictionary.com, like I did today, and type in doubt and then add the I, it predicts that you're going to search for Doubting Thomas. And it defines Doubting Thomas on a secular website this way, a person who refuses to believe without proof, a skeptic. And then it cites the very passage of Scripture I just asked you to turn to John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Now, we're going to include verse 30 and 31, the very end of the chapter, and I'll explain that as we get there. But if you haven't already, go there. And remember, your sermon notes are available for you from our bulletin page linked right there at the top that'll take you to the Uversion website. Or if you use the Uversion app on your tablet or your smartphone, um, then It's under the events and choose Southview Baptist Church, and you'll find your sermon notes there. The blanks are all filled in for you, but there's still space for you to take notes, and you can even share things on social media uh, or email them to yourself if you want to. And remember, as far as our live stream goes and the technology we're using and the things we're trying even in the sanctuary, if you've got any feedback for us, hey, have you thought about this or why are we doing it this way? Just email us at office at southviewbaptist.org. That'll go to one of our administrators. They'll get it to whoever needs and we'll discuss it and we'll make a plan or adjustment as needed. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace as we're trying new things here. So today we consider... Doubting like Thomas. Doubting like Thomas is the way I've entitled our sermon. And if you've got your Bibles there with you and you would like to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, we'll read together John chapter 20, verses 24 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's pray. 
Father, as we open your word, we open it with the same prayer every time we open it and read it, that by your spirit who inspired it, you would speak to us to illuminate our understanding, to give us faith, to create in us obedience, and even to change our very hearts, our wills, and our behavior. So we pray now you speak to us through the story about Thomas, and maybe it will be that we would doubt like Thomas ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we just read our passage, so it's fresh in your minds, which leads to the question on the top of your outline. The question on the top of your outline is, what is my first impression of Thomas? Now, some of you may have read that before. Some of you had heard the phrase before, doubting Thomas. Some of you maybe just read that passage of Scripture for the first ever time. So if you did, what is your impression of Thomas? What is it that you think about him? You know maybe that Thomas was one of the disciples. There were many in a larger group they called disciples, but one of the 12 disciples specifically called by Jesus to follow him. And he'd been with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He'd seen it all. He'd heard it all. And how is it that this guy wanted to see and experience the resurrected Lord for himself has gotten a bad rap is the question I would ask. I think he wanted proof. We might call him, as the definition from dictionary.com did, a skeptic. And I'd have to ask us, however, is that a negative thing? Is it negative to want to see, to experience for yourself something that others have done? It seems like, for whatever reason, we tend to shade it that way in our culture. But my question is, what is it about doubting Thomas that is so bad? What, what's so bad? Don't we all doubt? Don't we all have questions? And it may be that some of us, unlike Thomas, are just a little too timid to say something, a little too fearful or shy to ask our question, or a little too prideful because we think people will think I'm dumb or something like that. But Thomas, whatever his motivation, voices our concerns, voices our struggles, voices our unbelief, and he puts these questions out here, and it's right here in the Bible. And so the amazing thing about God's Word is that everything is in there somehow. It may not say take job A and city A versus job B and city B, but the Bible is going to teach you principles to help you make that decision. The Bible may not say you should or should not march in a protest for something, but the Bible gives you principles that help you make that decision. Everything is there. And when we think about doubting, we think about questions, we think about skepticism, it's very specific that of all the stories John, the evangelist who wrote the Gospel of John, could have included, he included the story of Thomas. If you were to go back and read the other Gospels, the only place, the only place that Thomas's name appears in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is in the list of disciples. I mean, he gets a nod. He's a disciple. Woohoo! Good job, Thomas. That's it, right? But in John, John specifically highlights Thomas two other times in addition to that one, and we'll get there in just a minute. So we're going to spend a little time with Thomas this morning. And we'll see that maybe we too already 
Or maybe we need to be a little more like Thomas. Because doubt maybe isn't such a negative thing. It's a positive thing if it's an honest inquiry. So we want to consider this relationship of faith and doubt. We want to consider the relationship of reality and truth and perception. And most importantly, the relationship that is a personal relationship with Jesus. That any of us at any time can take our question to the Lord Jesus and say, here's what I'm troubled by. Here's what I don't understand. Jesus, can you strengthen my faith? Jesus, can you speak to my questions? Jesus, can you give me what I need so that I might be who you've asked me to be? And with such an open mind, what can we learn from Thomas? How much am I or someone I know like Thomas in our minds? So in our scripture today, we've got seven different statements through these eight verses we're going to walk through as we consider this question of doubting like Thomas. So let's consider the first one. The first one comes from verse 24, and that's, I've missed out before. I've missed out before. Think about it. All of us have missed out at one time or the other. Go back to verse 24 and let's see what I'm talking about. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Rewind. What are we talking about? Go back to verse 19. Chapter 20, verse 19, the Gospel of John. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, so this is the very day that Jesus resurrected from the grave, Jesus came and stood among them, peace be with you. He said, showed him his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then he commissions them, as the Father sends me, so send I you, John 20, 21, our scripture verse of the month. Guess who wasn't there? What's it say in verse 24? Now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there. Was it that when Jesus was crucified on Friday, and here it is, Sunday evening, that Thomas said, that's it. All right, it's done. Our Lord's crucified, and the other guys might still meet together, but I'm, I'm out. I don't believe it's real, and he hit the road. Could be. Or it might be that because Thomas loved Jesus so much, that he was crushed that Jesus was crucified. And yes, he had heard about the resurrection. And yes, he understood that intellectually. But he had to just go be by himself. You know, some of us, we don't like to be around other people when we're grieving, when we're questioning, when we're trying to figure things out. We just want to be alone. Maybe that was Thomas, right? Commentator Alva Hovey says, natural to conjecture that he had given up the cause as lost beyond recovery, that the tomb might be vacant as some reported, but this was no solid ground for hope. That we might conjecture or imagine that Thomas had lost his hope, but we're not sure about that. So let's take a step back, like I said a minute ago, and consider what we know about Thomas and in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles there and you want to turn with me, turn back a few pages maybe to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is about the death of Lazarus. And you know what happened in the end of that chapter, right? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and the Jewish leaders freak out even more than before. They're like, we got to kill this guy, Jesus, now, because not only is he preaching and teaching this way, he's raising folks from the dead, and everybody's going to hear about it. But look where Thomas comes in, in John chapter 11. Read verse 14. So then they told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I am glad I was not here, Jesus is speaking, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So they're not yet there in Bethany where Lazarus has passed. Jesus and his disciples are away. They're going to go too. But look at what Thomas says, John eleven sixteen. But Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, there's some conjecture on that, right? What was Thomas talking about, that we may die with him? Is he meaning I believe in the faith and following Jesus so much that I'm willing to die to defend it? Is he meaning that uh, I'm going to die like uh, Lazarus so that I might rise again? You know, all kinds of debate on that. That's another sermon, as I say often. But here's Thomas. That's one look at Thomas. Turn your Bible a page or two to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, now Jesus is meeting with the disciples in what we call the Last Supper in the upper room, where we get our Lord's Supper that we observe. By the way, we've got that on the calendar now to observe in July, and when we get there, we'll tell you how we're going to do that different if we've still got to wear a mask. It'll it'll work great, Don't, don't worry. But in John chapter 14, Jesus says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. We portray that right over here on our own stage in this day of resurrection, our Easter pageant. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if it weren't so, I wasn't going to tell you, I'm going to invite you there with me. And then Thomas says, John 14, 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I can hear some of our brothers here from Southview who voiced that part. I can hear their voice in my mind when I read that line. I don't know about you. Thomas wasn't asking because he doubted. Thomas was asking because he honestly wanted to know, how are we going to get there with you, Jesus? I love you, Jesus. I'm your follower, Jesus. And so what does Jesus say? We all know that one. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. So what we see from Thomas is that he's sober-minded. He's willing to go with Jesus no matter where, no matter what? He may appear a bit skeptical, but he's genuine. He's earnest. He's seeking to understand. And most importantly, he's desirous of an ongoing, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. So this isn't a negative thing when we say doubting like Thomas or doubting Thomas. This is earnest. This is real life. This is a guy with questions and concerns just like so many of us. And when we go back to our passage of Scripture today, we see that Thomas is he's, he's, he's doggedly loyal. One commentator called him spiritually obtuse. I mean, that's a fancy way of saying he didn't quite get it. Well, keep in mind that none of the disciples quite got about the resurrection just yet, right? And that even though we may have said, oh, Thomas, well, 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 I'll get there in a minute too. So it begs the question for me, however, how do I react when I miss something? That's what verse 24 was about. The first point on your outline is I've missed out, that all of us have missed out. No one likes to miss out. No one likes to be left out. We want to be there for the event. We want to stay to the ending just to see what happens. And Thomas, up to this point, had seen everything Jesus had done with his own eyes, which leads to his bold statement that's in verse 25, your second statement on your outline, faith fails me at times. Faith fails me at times. Look at verse 25 in your scripture, John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
Our English version, at least my NIV, doesn't capture that properly. It should actually read, the other disciples kept on telling him, we have seen the Lord. They kept saying to him, Thomas, we know you weren't here, man, but you got to believe us. It was real. It was really him. We know it was him. And they had this debate. And this was for, we learn in the next verse, 26, eight days, literally, it says a week in most of our translations, that they went back and forth. Now, before we go negative on Thomas again, keep in mind about the other disciples. Keep in mind what we've learned in these past few weeks. Mary Magdalene comes back from the tomb and she says, I saw Jesus. And they're like, we don't believe you. We got to go. And even when the other disciples came back, the guys that were there were like, "Mm, we're not so sure about this. You know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, when they came back and said, we've seen the Lord, the disciples that were gathered were like, we're not sure it was the Lord. You know, I mean, they all had these debates and they all argued with one another about Jesus was alive yet. But each of them on their own had to make this ascent to faith that, yes, whether I've seen him or not, I believe the testimony of others. And Thomas is in that question. John MacArthur proses something interesting. He says, what makes Thomas different is not that his doubt was greater, but that his sorrow was greater. MacArthur posits that Thomas loved Jesus so much, he was willing to do whatever, even sacrifice his life, like we learned about in John chapter 11, and wanted to know where Jesus was going to spend eternity, like we learned in John chapter 14, that he was grieving in a different way than the others. He said, I want to put my finger where his nails were. And literally, it says, I want to put his hand into my side, thrust his hand into his side. In other words, you know, I want to make sure there was really a spear there. He refuses to accept the testimony of others. He refuses to accept his own sight and hearing. He wants the highest possible proof. He wants to touch Jesus himself. He's struggling with unbelief, but he's seeking to believe. That's why I say doubting like Thomas is not such a bad thing. It leads us to question, we're all a bit like Thomas, right? When does faith seem to fail me? What about you? Then you, you've had faith, you've trusted Jesus, you've walked with Jesus, You've become more like Jesus, but then something or some things happen in your life. Negative circumstances come in that cause questions in your mind, that cause doubts in your heart. And before long, you're floundering or you're struggling or you're questioning or you're doubting. And then guilt and shame jump on top of that because the devil's a liar and he wants to separate you from that personal relationship with Jesus. And then depression and anxiety set in. And before you know it, you're a whole long way from where you used to be in a close relationship with Jesus. You and I are just like Thomas too, aren't we? Because of our love for Jesus, we have questions. It leads us to the third verse in our passage of Scripture. And that third point on your outline is that your welcome shouldn't change. Your welcome shouldn't change. Now, let's talk about what I mean here. Read verse 26. A week later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, were in the house again. The same house that Jesus had appeared to them when Thomas met him. And Thomas was with them. Keep in mind from our last verse, the phrase, they kept on telling him. Here's my point. 
Thomas, when he didn't believe like the rest of them, Thomas, when he didn't think like the rest of them, Thomas, when he didn't grieve like the rest of them, did they cast him out and say, you heretic, shame on you. You should believe us. You should trust us. No, they kept welcoming him back in. They had continual conversations about his lack of belief. They had continual conversations and Thomas was still a part of the group. That teaches us something, doesn't it? Whether you like the idea of wearing a mask to church or not, and whether you agree with protest or Black Lives Matters or not, we still love you. You're still part of Southview. That because we love Jesus, and Jesus is who we serve, we can love others no matter what. We can include others no matter what. I'm going to talk about that next week, and I ask that you'd pray for me, because I want to wade into this and say, what does the Bible tell us? about giving grace to one another and seeking to find truth over feelings and how we love one another in the midst of tumultuous times and disagreements. We're going to see if we can do our best to bring that truth to bear on the world we live in in 2020 America. But back to our passage of Scripture today. Your welcome shouldn't change. Here's my point on that one. Though Thomas missed out, he wasn't left out. Amen? Though Thomas missed out, he was not left out. They still included him as part of their fellowship. He was welcome, though he had doubts. He was still loved, though he had questions. We can learn from this. Which leads us to a question. How do I treat people that think unlike me? How do I treat people that look unlike me, that come from a place unlike me, that do a job unlike me? How do I seek to understand different voices? How do I question and struggle with them rather than just deflecting or obfuscating or running away and leave myself stuck in an echo chamber of people who think just like me? We need to be open, at least to have honest conversations with people about issues and even with Scripture and theology And even the things I'm saying right now that some of you might be bowing up a little bit about, if you're bowing up, that should tell you something. That's your pride, not the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit of Jesus within you. Our faith in Jesus should be big enough to handle any issue. Our faith in Jesus should be strong enough to handle any question. Our faith in Jesus should welcome discussion with those who don't believe. And I trust me, if you exercise faith like that, Jesus will use that to strengthen your faith if you'll walk with him. We're commanded to love one another, honor one another, and we'll get there more next week. Let's move to your fourth scripture and your fourth point today, is that Jesus loves me, this I know. I use the colloquial phrase from the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, because look at what happens in verse 27. In the end of verse 26, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Remember, every time he appears or every time God appears, there's a statement of peace, right? Don't freak out. It's me. Verse 27, then he, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I don't think this was Jesus scolding Thomas with an ugly tone in his voice. I think this was spoken with love. This was spoken with grace. 
Maybe this was spoken with a tremor in his voice and tears in his eyes as our Lord is expressing his love to Thomas. Thomas, I know you love me. And because you love me, you've got questions. Because you love me, you've got doubts. But I'm here. And I'm here just for you. And the exact thing you asked for, to put your hands in the nails, to put your hand in my side, I'm giving it for you, Thomas, because I love you enough to meet you where you question me, where you doubt. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It begs the question for each of us, how has Jesus loved me? You think in your own personal walk with Jesus, what's happened? The ups and downs of your life, the times when you've had doubts, the times when you've had questions, the times when your heart was broken, the times when you literally argued with God because you were hurting and didn't know why he would allow it to happen. And then you knew Jesus loved you. He spoke words of peace and comfort to you. His word, the Bible, came alive to you and strengthened you when other people thought, wow, how could you have such faith? How could you believe? Amidst my sin, amidst my struggle, amidst my waywardness, amidst my disobedience, amidst my question, amidst my doubts, amidst life, Jesus loves me. If Jesus loves me that way, no matter what, what's my response to Thomas? Well, let's move on to our next point, the fifth point on your outline. And that's that Jesus is my Lord. Verse 28. Look at this declaration of faith here. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Other than Peter's proclamation of faith recorded in Matthew chapter 16. This is perhaps the boldest single statement and declaration of faith of a disciple of Jesus to Jesus in the entire New Testament. And Peter said it then Thomas asked for proof. Jesus gives him the proof. But Thomas didn't actually have to touch him or put his hand in. He just heard him. He saw him and he knew Jesus loves him. And he responds in faith. All the heartache, all the pain, all the doubt, all the fear, all the questions, all the feelings of not belonging, even though the other disciples still welcome him in. All that vanishes in one defining moment. I trust God. You, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. For each of us, it begs the question, when did we confess Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord? Have you confessed Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? And if you haven't, and you're watching today, email me, Aaron at SouthviewBaptist.org, and let's talk. If you're in these pews here today and you want to talk, we're going to have a gospel invitation at the end Come down front and let's talk that you too can put your faith in Jesus. And no matter your questions, no matter your doubts, look at Thomas. Let's talk. The sixth point on your outline, the sixth verse in our passage of Scripture today is, I am blessed in believing Jesus. I am blessed in believing Jesus. Now, that sounds like something you'd expect the preacher to say, right? Yeah, you follow Jesus, your life's going to be blessed. No, no, that doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles and troubles. Thomas was already a believer in Jesus, or was a follower, a disciple of Jesus, and had these you know, concerns and questions, and Jesus met him in those. But look at what I'm getting at, verse 29. 
Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Okay, that's good. Jesus is affirming Thomas, I accept your declaration of faith in me. But catch the second half of verse 29. This is what applies to you and me, so forgive me. I love Thomas, but this is pretty exciting for us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is what we call in Christian terms, Bible terms, a beatitude. You know, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, blessed, blessed in Matthew chapter 5. This is only the second beatitude that Jesus has pronounced in the entire Gospel of John as John records it. So Jesus obviously pronounced a lot more. John, in the way he wrote it, only recorded two. Why do you think John recorded this one of Thomas? For us. Blessed are those of us who never saw Jesus in the flesh, but have believed Jesus and trusted him as our personal Savior and Lord. The reason John included the story of Thomas and highlighted Thomas among the 12 disciples and had him in John 11 and John 14 and here in John 20 is that so you and I can see it's okay to have questions, it's okay to have doubts, it's okay to struggle, and that we, having not seen Jesus, are even more blessed. Blessed in the Bible is a state of being. It is God caring for you. Isn't that amazing? Let's move on to our seventh and final point. That's our last two scriptures. That's John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where John writes this summary statement, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of disciples which are not recorded in this book. He says in chapter 21, there's not room in the whole world for everything that Jesus said and did to write all the books. But then he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You know, we tell stories, don't we? Sometimes we tell stories just for fun. But even funny stories generally have some sort of punchline, don't they? And everybody goes, oh, okay, I was wondering how that was going to... I mean, a joke has a punchline. If it doesn't, you kind of go, hmm, I'm not sure about that. But when we tell stories to illustrate something, to make our point... And even writers on blogs or even the way it's told on television news to us or even on radio news, like if you listen to NPR, they, uh, you know, I, I love the way they do that there where they interview a real-life person and you hear all the sounds in the background and they invite you into that person's life and story and then here's the problem and here's our questions or here's our solution is at the end, right? Jesus, in this relationship with Thomas... And John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the story of Thomas to make a point that applies to you and I and all believers in all time for thereafter. It's this book, the Bible, and all the stories in it are written for what purpose? That we would believe Jesus. Believing Jesus is the purpose of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? So we've got a final question on your outline. And that one doesn't have a scripture verse attached to it because it's to make you think about your entire sermon and everything we've thought and prayed and experienced together this morning as we've considered John chapter 20. And that's, how much am I like Thomas? How much have 
I love Jesus or had questions, concerns, or doubts. But Jesus met me in those. And Jesus loved me in those. And Jesus helped me overcome those. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us no matter what. And we thank you that you speak to us through your word in even a story like that of Thomas that we may know by a cliche phrase is actually a story to teach us all something much more deep about who we are and how you love us in the midst of all of our questions and doubts and fears and hopes and the relationship we have with you. So God, our Father, we pray that um, by your Spirit, we'd be moved to seek you deeper no matter where we're at right now. We'd be moved to take our questions to you no matter what they are right now. And that as we read your Word and as we pray, you'd speak to us today and this week and make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.